We're sustaining any industry's hard work. Mm. You know, in design, in fashion, in architecture, in everything, just to keep up and keep abreast of what's going on. So it's, you know, everyone's doing that. Yeah. Um, and so what's your objective with it? My objective with it is to inspire people to follow their hearts and follow their dreams and to create positive meaning in their life. And, but for you on a business level? On a business level? Yeah. I guess uh, I would love to expand the show to, I don't know, this is a skill that I developed while I was doing Love Your Sister, which is this kind of interview, but it's more of a conversation than an interview. Yeah. And it's... uh, Something that I really honed, but I didn't. I wasn't really aware until actually we did that 16th Street video, um, and I was getting a lot of really positive feedback. I haven't seen that. Um, you remember the one that we yeah. filmed at 16th yeah. Street? Um, I was getting a lot of positive feedback from people about the interview process, and I thought, oh, okay, maybe this is a skill yeah. that I can develop and hone, and uh, I guess to create a show and another stream of income somehow eventually. yeah that's what i was thinking how could you where, where do you take it what do you do with it you i think get, you know get it big and then people advertise on yeah i think yeah. as far as the podcast goes the way to monetize it is through advertising yeah but i mean there's no reason why the show eventually couldn't lend itself to i don't know some sort of talk show format if there was enough yeah. interest in it and if it became big enough well you've got a great voice for it Oh, thank you. But I, I don't know, for me as always, I've never been one to kind of just sit around and wait for the phone to ring. I'm Good. always trying to find my way forward. Yeah. Um, because it's there's so much uncertainty in entertainment industry, Absolutely. but in any industry, as you're saying before, I think mm. particularly post GFC, mm. which now feels like a million years ago. It yeah, doesn't it? Um, you know, you, you don't really hear that much about any industry being super stable unless you're already at that sort of top Mm. echelon so i started this podcast you know i turned 30 last year in december and it felt like the decade just kind of the new decade just smashed me right in the face and it's like hey here you go new part of life new chapter and i guess instead of uh turning to booze i turned to philosophy and uh existentialism and uh spirituality and started going right well all those friends of mine over there that i've grown up with are having kids and buying houses and i'm running around with a camera and following my heart yeah why'd i do that um and here we are hello friends and welcome to coming up next This week's guest you may know from pretty much uh, everything that's been made in Australia. Uh, She's had a 30-plus year career uh, that's spanned pop music, television, presenting, drama, theatre, motivational speaking. She's even made a meditation CD. I am a little bit nervous but very excited and so grateful to be sitting across from this week's guest coming up next Toddy Goldsmith I hope you enjoy the ramble so I'm joined today by Toddy Goldsmith on coming up next thank you so much for jumping in the uh, in the ramble room with me Toddy <laughs> ramble room my brother even kind of made his bed for you I know it's good I sat on it very comfy bed <laughs> and um, Toddy you've had an incredible career um, sustained over 31, 32 years? Um, let me think. I'm 52. I'm nearly 53. My first paid job, I was 19. So, yeah, geez, it's a while. That's, a, that's yeah, quite a career. Years. Well, yeah, it's, it doesn't sort of feel like that, though. It just feels like a, it's the process. Yeah. Well, this is something that I'm really uh learning and realizing is that it's not about you you never arrive you never arrive at a a place you're always in the process you're always on the journey and i think 
particularly in uh, an industry like the entertainment industry, if you start um, investing in outcomes, you're probably likely to be disappointed. I think you have to have some sort of goal so you can aim for something, be at the stars, and then be present along the way. But if if we don't have something to aim for, we can kind of flounder. But it doesn't mean you can't feel traction towards other things along the way. I'm really open to where I go. But I um, I wanted to be a dancer. I was obsessed with dancing when from six years old. I started making my dad drive me to dancing lessons. And I was, I dreamt in dance. I did shows at home. I was just this little very I was very gymnastic as well I was very fit always have been Mm. and then I had I dislocated my hip actually doing jumping splits and that put a quick end to my dancing career so I started going to St Martin's Youth Art Centre which is in South Yarra and at that time it was literally around the corner I we didn't have Google in those days. We heard about things. So I did, I joined an, uh, you know, an acting school when I was 16, maybe 16 or 15. No, 16, yeah. And it just happened to be um, where Mark Trevorrow, who's Bob Down, Gina Riley, Catherine Kim, Tessa Humphreys, um, Barry Humphreys' daughter, Kim, there was a list of people that you'd still know now. Mm were all in this that little school and wow. there was a play that was put on called When Lips Collide, A Portrait in Black and it was about Art of Buttrose and um, it was um, put on at the Playbox Theatre. So it was a proper production and that was my first real taste of acting or, pre- you know, performing on a stage outside of dancing. And um, then I, I just I got a taste for it. I think it was probably in my DNA my sister's a poet and a singer. My brother plays every instrument you can imagine and a songwriter and um, our mother was really musical and an actress. So I think there's something that's in, in your body but you can get... It's such a strong feeling when you have it. It's it feel, Well, to me it just felt right and it just kept going. I didn't have a master plan then. My master planning came later in life where I suddenly just had goals. Mine just kind of happened and I think that comes from just being open to what will be Mm. which is very much my personality type as well I'm just kind of very open see what happens I went from one acting class to another and I I did a class with a guy called John Gauchy and he filmed the classes and then you'd sit and watch it afterwards I happened to do a script from Prisoner because you know they give you the script and he said, oh, I think you've got something. And he showed it to his agent. And his agent said, I want to see her. And I went in there and he sent me off to an audition to Grundy's or Crawford's. Was it Grundy's? I think Grundy's. And I got my first job doing mm. Young Doctors. So it just happened by default. But even the Chantuzies, you know, my singing career happened by default as well. Because, mm. my, as I said, my brother Brett's a muso. And we live next door to each other. And he was always having his muso friends over jamming. And I had my sisters girlfriends over singing making up harmonies to songs just for fun and my 24th birthday was happening at we our dad had a club called the underground in melbourne that then this is the 80s late 80s and um brett said well why don't you get the girls organized and i'll get the boys and we'll put on a show for your birthday why not we've got the venue so we did and dad booked us as a residency on wednesday nights and it took off. It just, like, was packed. Mm. And then a guy called David Courtney, who wrote Long Tall Glasses with Leo Sayer and produced him, was in town, heard about this band called the Chantuzies, came along to see us, said you should do this song called Witch Queen of New Orleans. Brad Robinson, who was a keyboard player in Australian Crawl, was managing us, so-called, managing us mm. at the time. Uh, we put it to Brad. Brad took it to Michael Godinski at Mushroom Records. Michael said, let's do it. And then the Chantuzies kind of turned into from a fun night into a recording band. And so it was just, I think, that kind of keep putting yourself out there, keep doing, don't overthink it, just be available, have fun. The thing, if I could do it all again, it would hone my craft Mm. I didn't have that understanding then. I went from lesson to lesson 
And I even went over to the States for a while and went to the Beverly Hills Playhouse and studied there through my pregnancy when I had a break from the Chantuzies. And I started understanding more and more about acting, but I just kept getting hired and I went along with it. I just went along with everything. And then I I kind of took a career turn. I got offered to do breakfast radio to fill in for Lavinia Nixon. She was having a break, I think. I think it was her. So I filled in and they offered me the job. And so I did breakfast radio. The money was outrageously good. Mm. And I couldn't say no. (laughs) And then... On the old double TFM. On double TFM, yeah. And I had a ball and I learned a lot of skills there. And... One of them is, um, which really helps me financially now, which is I do a lot of MC work. And it's being really succinct and listening. Because in breakfast radio, it's very, very fast. And you have to, if you want to tell a story, you need to know where you want to come in and how you want to get out. And a couple of points in between, so you don't scramble. And it, it taught that there's a lot of honing skills when you do really fast radio and relating to people. So in radio, I really learned every time you speak on any forum, in radio especially, you're talking to one person because mm-hmm. there's only one person listening to you. You're not talking to masses. It's not all of you out there. It's one person. And that really helped me in my MC work. Mm. And it creates an intimacy. Yeah. And it's really what you're doing. You're talking to one person. So then I got offered um, to host a TV show called Sex Life and the structure of it that was a sort of magazine-style show to educate people on everything to do with our sexuality, being human. So it was from um, things that were kinky to midlife crisis for men to... Um, women in prison and sexuality to circumcision to losing your virginity it was everything so my grandmother who was pretty straight she was South African born very you know Turek kind of chick and really straight very manicured and she said to me you will give it credibility and I know that you'll do it with style so I still didn't know if I wanted to do it. And I said to my agent, okay, just say double or nothing because that'll do it. That'll clean this up. And they said, okay, double. So there I was. <laughs> this stage I'm a single mum earning amazing money again. And I, it was like I wanted, you know, I could put my daughter in private school and buy a house and do all this stuff that, you know, wasn't going to happen any other way. And that became quite comfortable And after that, my profile was very big at the time, especially from hosting Sex Life. And I I got offered Grease, the musical arena spectacular, for no other reason than I was really popular. I didn't even audition for it. But they didn't give me a great role. They created a role for me and I got bored. So there were auditions for Rocky Horror Show came up and I'd always wanted to play Janet. So I went and auditioned for it and I got the role and I left Greece and they replaced me they understood it and I did a massive pay cut and I had a ball and that's when I started really understanding I need to do things that are really fulfilling because sex life was fun I was earning great money it got me through a whole lot of tough times with my daughter being able to afford nannies and get help to have a career but it wasn't a rich feeling for me Mm. and as I got older I started looking at ways that would make me feel stimulated. So, uh, and that's really what I've done since Layla turned 18, which was four years ago. Um, I went, I was doing, you know, guesting in jobs. I ended up having chronic fatigue for five years. I didn't work at all for five years because I got so sick. And that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but, um, when was that? That was, well, when I was doing Rocky, I actually got Giardia. Sydney had a water breakout and I was boiling all the water and, you know, doing everything that they said to do. But one of those little bugs got into my already very compromised system because mm. I realised afterwards I'd had um, glandular and I was doing radio. I just thought I was tired because I was tag-teaming a nanny at 4.30 in the morning. Mm. But I, I was a little more tired than that. <laughs> but I'm one of those, I give 110% kind of people and didn't listen to my body well enough. So I ended up really... Um, it was kind of ironic that I got an illness that put me in bed so I couldn't escape the things I had to learn about myself. 
Mm. I had to face a lot of stuff. So I did. And I went in boots and all and came out of chronic fatigue um, much more connected to myself and wiser and um, and more compassionate too, you know, Mm. for sick people. You don't know what it's like to be sick until you're really sick. So when Dad got cancer, I could be with him. I could be in silence with him. When And I got depressed as well, so I can be with people that are depressed. I got anxious because I hadn't worked and I had to sell my house and all these things so I can understand anxiety. It gave me a whole other level of being compassionate and connected in the world, so things I don't regret at all. And this, this, is, this is how we grow when we crash and burn is normally when we get our greatest growth. Shame, it has to be that way. But, you know, I, I beg for people not to have to spin out of control to find their way mm. <laughs> to home and home is being present and being with yourself. Mm. It's funny, it's on a, a physical level as well as an emotional level. You know, when you go and work out, you've got to break and tear the muscle to grow it and to strengthen yeah. it. True. And it's the same with your emotions. You know, you've got to, um, you know, there's the, there's a, a something I've been learning and going through a lot is this um, idea that your heart just continues to break and break until it can't break anymore and it just stays open. Um and you stay open to life and to love and to everything that mm. um, and, and compassion and kindness. And I think that's... part of that heartbreaking thing is starting to understand what ego is because mm. we can be heartbroken because we've been abandoned and our stuff comes up, whatever it is for us, and that we've been left. And once we recognize when our ego is in place, our pain body, if you've read Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. which I think is the best description of it. Oh, yes. I think that's when we can really start to um, um, understand what pain is. And I, I'll, I might be heartbroken again. Who knows? I have been. Absolutely. But I'm open to that. I'd rather be heartbroken than shut off. Yeah. So, And I'm open to loving. I'm more careful now. And I see signs now that my ego mightn't have wanted me to see, mm. but I do see signs now, so that's made me grow up emotionally. Mm. But also our body will react to our emotions, and if you don't deal with your shit, your body will tell you the story. Yep. So, And you'll feel it. That's what emotions are. Mm. Well, your body speaks to you, and it's uh, pretty crazy. How's that beeping? Is it? It's just a car. It's life. It's, it's life. white noise. Yeah, white noise. <laughs> yeah. In meditation, I, you know, I, I'm, I always, the minute I sit down ready to do a meditation is, you know, sit in it, listen to all the sounds that are going on, allow them to be white noise before I go into my breath. So it's just part of where we are, who we are right this minute. Yeah. So. That's very true. It's funny when you, well, for me, when I've started, when I've really started investigating and looking at the difference between ego, pain body, uh, story, um, and pure consciousness and awareness and, and, and love. And then also the polar side of that, of fear. Um, and how much of life it can be governed by stories and ego and um, fear. And then when you step outside of that and you really do drop into presence and drop into being, how all of those voices suddenly sort of disappear, all of that meaning suddenly disappears and it's really what do I want in this moment and what's the best way for me to achieve that? Well, I think, I mean, there's, I I don't even remember where I read it, but many years ago someone had in a book, Fear, False Evidence Appearing Real. Yeah. And that was a really, really good lesson for me because it is is false Mm. evidence appearing real mm. and I yeah I look I think we're human and we can't be perfect and we're not no you know I'm, I'm not going to say I'm not going to get scared again I'm not going to say that I'm not going to judge again but I'm aware when I judge and I will take myself out of that judgment and, and work out where that's come from mm. I'm not saying I'm not going to be afraid again but I'll sit in it and work out what that fear is so that awareness keeps you as authentic with yourself as you can be mm. but I you know I'm no 
guru. I'm not living in the you know the Himalayas in a hill no. where I can just sit there and meditate and be. I'm in the real world. But meditation for me is my greatest ally because it makes you know the world will keep going. There'll still be things that will and people that will attack you. That just doesn't change. But it's how we respond to them. And for me, meditation makes ripples out of waves. Mm. And then it's life feels very manageable. Mm. I would agree with that. Uh, and when I do get into a good practice of meditation, everything just feels yeah, much more manageable and much more loving. Um, and I, happy. Yeah, happy, happy, joyful. Yeah. And learning the discernment as well between uh, like the joy doesn't necessarily mean uh, happy. Like you can find joy in uh, pain and in lessons and in, and in stuff like that as well. Yeah, and it's sitting and, in it. It's actually sitting in it and feeling yeah. where it's come from because we've all got stuff. We've all got a history, but it's not associating to it yeah. and not being the victim of it. But I yeah, think getting to thing. know yourself is a really, really wonderful thing. I'm really happy that you've come to that point. A lot of people don't. Mm. They can go through life and have lots of feelings and smother it and drink it or drug it or workaholic it or sex it or do whatever they're, they're going to do to avoid. Mm. But, you know, I believe in therapy. I've, I've been going to therapy for a number of years, especially since I became a mother. It was really important for me to not pass on any of my shit to my daughter mm. and to understand it. And I think therapy gives you a bird's eye perspective of the situation instead of being caught in it, especially if you've been hurt. Mm. I was really hurt. I was very much in love with a guy and we were engaged and he called it off a number of times because he had his set of issues and, you know, having children, I was getting older and his fears. And I had to, I did a lot of therapy on that to be able to sit present with that and learn from that and love him through that and, not to judge it, but I, I really strongly meditation, strongly in therapy. I think we've got to constantly look after ourselves to mm. be present and healthy in the world. And if we're healthy, we don't attract the narcissists. Well, they can't. They can't hurt us. Yeah. Because narcissists are like sharks; they smell blood. Mm -hmm. And if you're weak and vulnerable in the world, you will attract your vibration, and people will smell you. So you've got to be strong, you've got to be healthy and you've got to do the work to do it. It's not given. It's not the world's tough. I actually don't think being vulnerable is is being weak. No. No, I think vulnerability is good, but you've got to have a healthy vulnerability. Mm. You've got to be aware of what it is and know how to protect victim, yourself. Yeah. Not vulnerable as in uh, where it's weak. I be, I'm a I'm a vulnerable person. Mm. If I wasn't vulnerable, I couldn't be an actor. Yeah. I wouldn't be open. And but I absolutely can smell rats now. I've had many around me, and they're attracted. It's like moss to a flame. Mm. And I know exactly when they come near me. I know exactly how to protect myself, and it's by being healthy. Mm. One thing I'm I'm curious about in a broad sense, which I've asked a number of uh, a number of the guests who've sat in that seat, is about relationships. Um, it's kind of a good segue into that, and about. Um, you've been married, mm -hmm. um, and as you said before, you've been engaged, mm -hmm. um, and you have a daughter who's 22 Two. now. Yeah. She has the same birthday as you. Yeah. As yeah. I learned on Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, no, IMDb, one of them. One of them. Um, how have you found and navigated through trying to sustain relationship and the difficulties in that? Because I feel like there's this kind of commonality of people in this we're in the world, really. It's not sort of specific, I don't think. But because we work crazy hours and we have crazy lifestyles and, and the jobs are so unpredictable and there's so much uncertainty, it seems to breed um, a difficulty in sustaining uh, intimate relationships. I The last relationship I was in, which was about four and a half years ago, I was very vulnerable when I met him. And... Um, I was in my ego state because I'd been very hurt from Jimmy, my fiancé. And I let this guy into my life. It was about two years... It was about two years after. I felt healthy enough to let someone in. But I wasn't. What I was really doing was 
saying to myself, I'm lovable. I can attract someone, you know, and this guy worked, he worked me, he worked really hard and got me, but he wasn't a healthy person. And when I worked it out, I had to peel myself away from it. So I've been single for four and a half years now and very happily single. And I've, I'm not blocked, not at all. I'm open. I do meet men, but I, I feel very happy in my own company. Mm. I'm very busy. I'm not looking and I know that the right guy will come and he's on his journey and we'll meet at the right time. But I I did so much work on myself about knowing that I'm enough for my own mm. and I don't need someone else to complete me. But I, I welcome it. When it comes, it will come and it'll be beautiful and easy. But I'm through feeling that I needed to prove to myself that I was lovable I learned that I was and I didn't need anyone mm. Mm, I, I can relate very so it is difficult but it won't be difficult when it's the right person yeah and they'll be completing themselves so when you know I did go out with a guy once who ironically he was a manager of bands like he was so in my industry and I was asked to do of all shows it was Secret Life of Us that you know Sam was in mm. Johnson and um, I had to do a uh, it wasn't a love scene, it was a sex scene. But I was in bra and undies and it was up against a wall and it was quite erotic. And he threw an absolute tantrum and told me I couldn't do it. And I went, no, end a relationship. I'm not going to have somebody throw their insecurity at me. Mm. So if you're with the wrong person, it can be trouble. But the right person, that's not going to be a problem because mm. they'll be evolved enough and they'll trust the relationship. So if if someone makes it difficult for you, they're, 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 not, they're not the right person. Yeah. Do you feel like there's this? Uh, this sound a bit esoteric. Do you feel like there's a sort of collective evolution that's happening at the moment in terms of people's understanding, and um, I guess even in a broader sense, you see a lot of people eating better these days and doing practices like yoga, meditation, um, qigong, tai chi. Look, I think it's fad. I see a lot of people that are doing these things, but they're not walking the talk. I think it's really good when people eat healthy food. I'm a, especially after having chronic fatigue, I'm a Nazi about the food I put in my body. Every single calorie and ounce of nutrition counts. But I do see a lot of fads going on, and I think it can be quite ego-based as well. I think um, people are more open to spirituality. I think they've got to stop talking about it and do it because mm. I don't think it's anything to show off about because there you're right back in ego again <laughs> and I don't get caught up it's in a trap yeah well it's the, it's coming in the back door you know yeah. I don't get caught up in conversations I hear people arguing about religion and spirituality and that's not a spiritual being that's sitting in judgment and it's this them and us mentality which a lot of religions have my dad's Jewish my mum's not I've got I'm not a religious person. I have respect for tradition. I'm interested in it. Um, but I I find it ironic when people sit in judgment of other people's choices because mm. that is so out of being godly, you know? <laughs> yeah. Jimmy's mother couldn't stand the sight of me. She was a God-fearing Catholic. Mm. And her pressure on us was all about from her religion and me being Jewish. And that I wasn't good enough for her son. Mm. So there you go. Don't. How can you go to church and then judge somebody else's, you know, place where they come from? So, you know, I think a lot of people like to think of themselves as spiritual, but you know, when they stop talking about it and just do it, is when I think that they've found a place of authenticity and truth. Mm. Is that? Uh, do you think that's like a core value for you that you hold really? strongly is about authenticity and integrity hundred percent hundred percent and with my child i hope i lead by example and i'm the first one that if i've ever hurt anyone and it i know that it hasn't come from intention mm. but i will work out i will talk to them and fix it i i'm so i honor my honesty and but you know what it's it's kind of it's it's a it's a funny one because we can't be outwardly honest to everyone or we'll hurt people's feelings and we'll create dramas. So I think with the people that are around us, 
we have to be um, kind as well. And being honest, it's not our place to always be really honest because my interpretation of someone's behaviour, if they're upsetting me, mightn't be their truth. If you know, if someone's mentally unstable, and we all work with people who are mentally unstable, it's just it happens. There's a lot of narcissists out there, and and people with personality disorders and um, chemical imbalances because of drug taking or alcohol abuse or whatever it is. Um, we have to deal with them in the world, and being honest with people like that isn't always healthy. So I think it's a man, a, a place of really balancing and managing mm. what where it's good to be really honest. And where it's good to keep things to yourself. But as long as you come from a place of authenticity and, and purity and just buffer yourself from people that are toxic for you because mm. we're not all good for each other. It's creating boundaries. Yeah, I think mm. that's really important. Mm. And that I get back to being healthy in the world. If you're healthy, you can't be penetrated by people that are toxic. Mm. They just pass right so, through you. Yeah, so that whole thing about being almighty and godlike i'm not i don't think any of us can be because the truth is we will find people that will try and use us and hurt us for whatever reason especially if you're in the public eye and it's about recognizing it and being elegant about it and backing away recognizing it not creating dramas Mm. i create i am a drama free zone was it coco chanel that said elegance is being as beautiful on the inside as you are on the outside yeah really like that yeah and acting with grace as well. Acting with grace. And sometimes we will have to let people down. If I don't want to, if I've spent time with someone and got to know them and there's an attraction and it's not working for me, I'm going to have to hurt someone's feelings. Mm. So you can't pretend you're never going to hurt anyone. You've just, you just have to be true to yourself. And that's the beginning of your honesty. And not play games and not get caught up in, you know, what the world is quite narcissistic now. And mm. I think social media has really, really done a lot of damage with that. And I see all these young girls and guys pouting and selfieing themselves and getting caught up in a world that's really not good for them. It's not their fault. They're not being taught that they're beautiful from the inside. Mm. They're putting up a photo and everyone's going, oh, my God, you look so divine. It's not, or they're ripping them to shreds. It's really tough out there, Mm. really tough. If I didn't have to be on social media, I wouldn't be. I'd have a very close Facebook thing with my family and close friends just to keep in touch because I think it's fantastic. Mm. But I do it for work and I'm very honest about that and realistic. I have shows to push, Chantuzzi gigs to push and... I make it as fun as I can because really it's it's not like fun it's time consuming yeah and it is constricting in a way I actually a couple of weeks ago deactivated my Facebook account and deleted Twitter and Instagram off my phone because I realized it had been like eight eight eight-ish years without a break of just being entrenched in social media and I have to say, I feel lighter energetically, yeah. like seriously. And it's amazing to clock how regularly I just reach for the phone yeah. to try and... It's like I'm trying to find connection, but it, actually I'm disconnecting from myself because Correct. the thought of being with myself or in that silence or being vulnerable for a moment or feeling what whatever's really going on is too much. So here's a Band-Aid yeah. for, for a Correct. second. Yeah. There's a thing called aeroplane mode that I have on so often. <laughs> I have boundaries. I meditate, phone's on aeroplane mode. Yep. I'm warming up my voice, I'm cleaning the house, aeroplane mode. As soon as um, the hours are over where I work, aeroplane mode. Mm. People can call me on my home phone, my close friends. Mm. And I'm really, really strict with my own boundaries. Mm. And I, I really practice being present, but it is part of um, pushing your wares. You know, when I was, I'm doing, I'm touring with Samuel Johnson with Sex with Strangers, which is a theatre production at the moment. And it's, I feel it's my responsibility with every theatre. I retweet their stuff or I put stuff up. And it's, it's, you know, this is what we do to help each other get theatre out there. And I think it's a really mm. important thing. And I use it to get the Chantuzies out there and I see it exactly for what it is, 100%. Mm. But people must see it for what it is. Mm. Going back to something that you just mentioned about um, young women and young men and the objectification, I guess, of a a physical image 
um, through social media. You know, through the through the eighties and the nineties, you were regarded as uh, a sex symbol, and even coming into now, this is something that I was reading about. You know, you really feeling like you step into your sexuality and and owning that. Yeah, and, and I'm what not it means. making excuses for it anymore. I I felt uncomfortable, and I thought a sex symbol was like the weirdest thing. Mm. And then there's that thing where our insecurity goes. Well, what do we have to do? What do I have to do to be appealing or to get work or you know do that sort of thing and that's a trap young women fall into and thank god for getting older yeah i'm really because i it was actually with ivana chubbick who's an american mm. acting coach she came out and i did a master class and she said you know her critique was you're so comfortable in your body and i've i've had women comment on that for years women have even said to me it's a, you're like a european woman are you European? People who don't know me, are you Italian or something? And why is that that European women are so comfortable in their skin and we're not? And we've followed the American kind of way. That really worries me. Mm. But being in your body also came from dancing. Mm-hmm. But also, I think meditating keeps me really grounded. It's radiating from the inside out as well, though. It's not just being superficially beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, the older you get, the more you have to kind of really face that we're getting older mm. and you can't rely on that. And that's, you know, when I, it was a really big decision. I'm just going to keep up skilling because I want to get the good acting roles, not because I'm pretty enough to play the older woman, which which was my casting, the older woman or the MILF or whatever you call them. Yeah. And um, which I'm actually still playing the older woman in this play, right. but it's a really good play. I'm playing a professor who's. You know, the play is called Sex with Strangers, but it's not a sexy You don't go play. into the audience and just so, do it with whoever. No, climbing on men yeah. or women, no. But it's um, <laughs> it's a really intelligent piece and there's, it's about, you know, it's it's the name of the blog, Samuel's character, Ethan, mm. becomes a, a New York Times bestseller, you know, blog and then a book. But um, I am in my sexuality and I own my body and I in my sensuality, I think, more. Mm. I just feel comfortable in myself. And I have really when I got, I always wanted to be 35. Everyone's always thinks of themselves at a certain age. If you ask someone and you go, how old do you think you are? Or how old did you always imagine you wanted to be? I remember being younger when I couldn't even hold the handle on the tram. I remember looking at women when they were about 35. I always wanted to be 35 because <laughs> they looked like women. They didn't look like girls anymore. Yeah, they looked yeah. like they knew themselves. And that's when I started really, I think, the, having a child. I, Layla was born on my 31st birthday and I started really, really evolving at that stage to be a better person, to be a better mother. That There was a slash in between those. And then 35, and I still feel like I'm 35 and I'm 53 next couple of weeks. But I feel that's where, how I feel in my body. Mm. And I look after myself and I eat well and I look after myself. I put the oxygen mask on myself before mm. I put it on anyone else. But you, I mean, once you're on a spiritual journey, I'm so glad you're on it. It will never end. Mm. You can't go back. You can't, unless you get turned into a drinker or something. Mm. And start pushing it down again. But even then, you can't go back. No. Once that door's open, you realize you've got so much to learn. Mm. I think once you have an awareness of something and you felt it in your spirit and in your body, you can't unfeel it. You can take a step backwards, but you always know that there's more and that there is that place forward. And that's a constant place. Like even sitting here now, I'm in my body Mm. and I can feel it. It's a choice you can make. You can do it anywhere. Yeah. Medi- people think you've got to be hippie or kind of out there to meditate, and it's so you just not. Have to breathe. True. You just have to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Still your mind. It's the best thing you'll ever do. Mm. It's funny this difference that you talk about between women and girls. I think it's the same between boys and men. Yeah. And how until you arrive at that point in your life where you do start to take spiritual or um, whatever kind of practice or path or language you you want to use um, that you really are kind of playing in a children's world or in a children's body and this idea of you know really stepping into your goddess or your warrior or whatever it is and how important that is to take further steps in evolution um, 
I'm not really sure where I'm going with this tangent. No, go. It's good. Um, just kind of rambling. Well, but we do keep changing our archetype as we yeah. grow. We keep stepping into another part of ourselves because we are so many things. Mm. You know, we've got all these different ages. We've got our emotional intelligence, our academic intelligence, our spiritual intelligence. Our, You know, th- this keeps going on. So we're not one thing at one time. Mm. And at different times we'll keep growing mm. and, and keeping interested in the world. Like even just me with my acting, studying, I'm constantly constantly learning stuff i'm reading more plays i'm reading about writers so i'm not just evolving spiritually i'm, I'm evolving artistically mm. creatively intellectually i love documentaries i love you know the human condition you know yeah. I, I just we will never st- if we can stop learning if we choose to when people say they're going to retire i nearly vomit for them <laughs> no, i couldn't stand that idea of going this is my retirement day i'm never going to stop until they drag me off that stage screaming Mm. i'll never stop being interested in the world in life in feeling in being alive Mm. i think there's something very admirable in that attitude and particularly for someone who had such a storied career for i guess it must have been about 25 years and then you go oh there's a whole lot of stuff I don't know about this. I'm going to go and take a master class with this amazing US acting coach. And you mm. go back to school and you go back to learning and you actually develop the technique and you refine and you refine. I didn't know I'd be such a good student. I I can't <laughs> thank Kim Courageous and Jamie mm. enough for bringing that school, that way of... Um, educating yourselves to Australia because we just didn't have it. It was like you do your three years at NIDA or RADA or whatever you're doing and then you're done and you can go off and do the odd course but they ha- they've they brought the whole philosophy – I can't speak <laughs> – philosophy here and they ignited in me something that I didn't realise was so huge mm. and my thirst for knowledge is just – Profound. Mm, it's never ending. Yeah. And every night, you know, Sam and I get up and do this show and every night it's new. And I feel blessed to have this script. I wouldn't have this script if Lucy Freeman hadn't seen me in a Larry Moss Masterclass, I wouldn't have this role. So that was me putting myself out there in front of all of my peers, five hundred of my peers, mm. and throwing myself out in front of one of one of the best teachers in the world to get to my next place. Mm. So and I have a saying that I say to myself, the universe rewards action. So it's like what you're doing with this podcast. You just keep doing, keep doing, don't wait. Mm. Just keep, and the right thing will happen. And dream. I dreamt, especially with doing these amazing acting classes that I do at 16th Street, I've always got the best scripts in the world in my hands. And I, I remember walking around the lake going, please, please, bring something in in a paid a real job of this caliber because you know i get neighbors and i get this and i get a guest role in that please god bring me a fantastic script and i got one so i i bought it in mm. with my actions which was doing the class and my 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 prayers my creating my reality my vibrational level what is your dream it's what I'm doing, but getting paid more. Regional theatre doesn't pay that well. Yeah. And I'm, I feel honoured to have this script in my hands. So I want to do exactly what I'm doing and keep doing it and get paid better for it. Getting to higher levels. Correct, yeah. yeah. But working with Sam has been incredible because he's such a... We, we come from such different places as actors. I'm very process-driven and very open emotionally and he's very spontaneous he comes to it from such a different and then we meet in the middle and every night we're just so deeply connected and we do something different and we and we we're alive and listening and there with each other so the show's different mm. and it's so rewarding it fills me mm. you're talking about um praying before uh or inviting in yeah. what you want i always think that praying is just another word of for meditation really well not for me i think meditation is going to silence Mm. and then once you're in that silence and feel connected then 
you know, visualizing or asking to have your needs met. Mm. Do you believe in a God or something, a higher power? Yeah, there's something out there. I don't know the word for it. Don't know the word for it, but I can feel something that's so much bigger than me, so much bigger than us, so powerful and beautiful. And it's interesting, I've got a girlfriend that she's comes from a more Catholic background. She believes in the devil. Right. And that there's dark. And I obviously that's her choice. I don't have a sense of that. I don't feel that there's black holes and darkness and evil. I feel that there's sick people that can create bad things, minds that can get polluted by chemical imbalances and personality disorders and they do bad things. But I think, personally, I don't feel a sense of evil around me. I feel a very, very massive sense of power, intelligence, love. Mm. I heard an interesting theory from someone that um, God and the devil is consciousness and ego yeah i like that a lot that makes a lot of sense to mm. me um yeah. yeah that resonated with me quite especially a lot. once you've read eckhart tolle and i think it's chapter six where he talks is really the profoundly the, in the power of now yeah where he talks about ego and it is it is and it will try and win mm-hmm. and once you recognize the ego it loses its power yeah yeah and it's funny even in just acknowledging and going cool thanks just mentally to yourself. Thanks for thanks for your opinion. Yeah, and just you know, putting your attention, just putting your attention into it, it, it loses yeah. its power. And stepping outside of yourself almost to observe yeah. the thinking mind. Yeah. To then drop back into yeah. the consciousness and, and, and the love. And it is work. I mean, people who have done some of the work and will be listening to this and they'll be getting the conversation. Mm. Other people that haven't read Eckhart Tolle or haven't meditated will be going, you guys sound insane. <laughs> but, you know, it is, it's, um, even with meditating, it's very hard to explain meditation. It's you. It's an experiential thing. Yeah. All of this, what we're talking about, is something you need to experience to understand, to tap into. Mm. And when you do, it's a really beautiful doorway to having peace of mind. And I remember, you know, being in my teens and we had had a very bad experience at home. We'd been held up at gunpoint and oh, wow. I'd been sexually assaulted and I was in a lot of pain. And I prayed, I, I was, I used to sit in the window and look up to the sky and pray for peace because I didn't have it. And then I worked out how to find it. And when the students ready, the teacher will come. Somewhere, somehow, someone will tell you the right book to read or lead you'll meet someone that would take you and say i've got a great meditation teacher or it will always come to you Mm. when you're ready i remember um a friend of mine very good friend of mine who now lives in israel uh said to me at one point i must have been going through some heartache or something said um you should read this book by uh, neil donald walsh called conversations with With God." god yep and at the time i was like uh, it sounds like stupid, wanky, new agey, hippie shit, and didn't didn't believe in God or anything like that, and I, it didn't resonate with me. And then I can't even remember how it happened, but a number of months later, I was just compelled to go and find this book. Yeah. Um, and he'd planted the seed then, and a few months later, you were ready. I was ready, and yeah. I went to that book, and that was the first. I remember reading a little bit of The Power of Now, but this was the first book that I actually read cover to cover and yep. resonated with and went, it doesn't really matter if he's having a conversation with God or not is besides the point. Correct, yeah. The point of it is... What he's saying. What he's saying. Yep. Um, and it, yeah. That's exactly how I um, found that book as a n- not a God person in the religious sense. Mm. I took the word God out of it and p- replaced it with what the thing that I feel mm. is abundant and i thought it was brilliant brilliant book Mm. um and also um wayne dyer is an incredible um writer he had terrible troubles with alcohol he's a massive alcoholic and he found he found peace and he's um he talks about it beautifully there's some really special people out there that have dedicated their lives to helping other people find their peace Mm. yeah it's quite amazing um 
what do you think i mean do you think that that's what the meaning of all of this is to find that inner peace and to kind of spread that love i think without sounding corny i think that's heaven on earth Mm. is to find peace for me spreading it is my actions it's how i am in the world and the small things i do that i don't tell anyone about and my consciousness and some people are put on this planet to write the books and to spread the word mine is maybe just for my friends and my daughter and for just my journey i don't know people often my friends tend to come to me and talk to me about stuff and that's beautiful a lot mm. of people often say i don't even know i'm telling you this <laughs> and that's a gorgeous compliment. You hold space for them yeah that's, that's right and so whatever it is that i give off and whatever i'm vibrating if that's picked up and helps somebody else then that's a beautiful thing mm. but for me it's telling the story through acting i really feel like that's like this woman that i'm playing she's a professor but she's and she's strong but she's gone into her fear and she has to find the courage to come out but she's in her vulnerability and if i can use what the pain that i've had to make someone else not feel alone because we always feel alone when we're in pain and when we see characters in plays or television or movies we go i'm not alone i'm actually other people go through this and being able to be part of that process i feel really honored mm. do you remember the first time that you entertain someone perhaps in your family or um or a friend or something when you were a young kid and you got that feedback um this is something i love asking uh everyone who comes in because i feel like there's something so profound in that moment that first time you get that buzz buzz well my brother and i oh my brother elder sister and i always put on shows fiona wrote the lyrics and we did shows for dad all the time and then um, Brett and I had a, a band called Brett and the Bears and we'd put it out on the balcony and just I'd slam drums and he'd play guitar with a big PA and just annoy the whole street. <laughs> um, but I think, I think for me what it turned into was a place that I felt loved. Mm. I'd had a pretty erratic upbringing and my mother left when I was two and a half. I don't remember her. I met her when I was 18 and then got to know her more and then I was actually with her. She died two years ago and I spent three and a half weeks with her in LA nursing her through her passing and had a very beautiful closing but I I think I needed desperately to be loved and have a family and the theatre and television shows felt like a family to me and coming from a really chaotic life it gave me boundaries and having to turn up and leave at a certain time like we were living in the tops of pubs and restaurants and it was dad was marrying all these different women and having kids everywhere and it was chaos mm. So it became a form of belonging for me and love. And then I grew out of that and then it became about the work. But there was definitely, it, it definitely started as being kids. And then it was definitely about feeling loved. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And then it was, and then it, it, it found its place into being about the, the art of it. Mm. And feeling a need for connection, a deep, deep need for connection. Mm. You said, um, talking before about having a very artistic and musical family, your aunt is Olivia Newton-John. Do you feel as though she sort of influenced your path in this she way? She might have subconsciously. I don't know. I was doing it before. Her fame was that I remember was Greece, And I was already doing, I'd already done my dancing classes since I was six and already joined St Martin's Youth Art Centre. So it was already in me before she started doing it. But what Olivia's given me is she's the most unaffected, normal, beautiful, spiritual, mm. humble, yummy, delicious woman. <laughs> and um, I guess she led and still does lead by example. And she's been more like a mother to me than my mother was. Mm. Um, so I think it was already in me, definitely was in me. Do you feel in that sense then the, a lot of this sort of art, artistry is, um, is it a nature thing as opposed to a nurture thing? It's something that you, it's something you feel compelled towards as opposed to something that you learn? I think compelled, yeah. I think it's in you and then you either um, honour it or you don't and stay frustrated because <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that don't honour it. Certainly is. Um, especially if they're afraid of not earning money regularly, which mm. we don't. 
Or stepping into their greatness. Or stepping into their greatness and fear of that, you're right. So I think a lot of people don't honour their truth and we're not all meant to be artists, we're not all meant to be academics, we are what we are. But they say that the average person has three career changes in their life. So I think there's always time to find who you are. Mm. And it's interesting, when I was um, studying with 16th Street, I'm like one of the oldest people there. And it's great when I see other people that are older studying. And um, I, feel, I feel pretty cool that I'm the oldest. Yeah. So I'm never going to give up, ever. Our dad did a class there and he, like, what was he would have been 56 or 57 and he'd never done an acting class and he's like Good never done him. a play, never done anything. And he just, I think a lot of people throughout his life, because he's quite a boisterous and um, extroverted person, a lot of, he'd get a lot of comments like, you should, you should be an actor, that sort of thing. Mm. And I think I'd been at 16th Street for a year or two and he went to an Ivana Chubbuck masterclass and Kim invited him to come and do a class, um, just a weekly class. And he went and did, um, studied Strasbourg for a year or two um how'd he go with it he loved it and Um, is he acting is he doing well no he doesn't he hasn't put it into acting but he has written uh, a play which he put on he produced last year um and is currently writing a musical as well and i mean this is he's 59 now almost 60 and this is you know it's only come about in the last she opened a door Mm. yeah opened a door um and it's funny from I, at the time I felt like he's invading my world he's you know and it's all this ego stuff of this is why is this happening to me this is meant to be my saint this is where I go to for my catharsis and you know making it all about being a victim of the situation when in reality I guess what had happened was he is inspired by both of his sons who are pursuing yeah their hearts and following their dreams and learning from you yeah yeah beautiful and it is it's a really beautiful yeah kind of uh point to arrive at yeah i think that there that's awesome yeah fantastic it's pretty it's pretty cool Mm. um and on on the level of just collaboration to be yeah working with within the family i mean nick and i collaborate all the time on things sweatshop that you were in last year he wrote the music for and he's got a band called hey frankie and i have done music videos for them and stuff like that so it's really cool to be collaborating in that sort of sphere with people Mm. and i think places like 16th street afford you that opportunity to meet people to meet great artists who you can really connect to and really hone your craft with and be inspired by as well Yeah, and it starts to sort of get let those bubbles you know go we start to feel ourselves come to life and Mm. you know we become effervescent yeah and everyone starts to step into their greatness together yeah Yeah, they do um one of the things that you said at the beginning which stuck out to me is about defaulting you kept you said you defaulted into a few jobs Mm. um i think i know what you mean by that but i just wanted i wanted to clear up that you worked your ass off Oh, I worked my ass off, but I, I just kept getting one job after another. Mm. I just kept getting another job. I'd audition and I'd get it. Mm. And so I just, um, I never had a moment where I wasn't working. So I never had time to really sit down and go, I really, I want to do some acting lessons and get really good at this. Mm. I sort of didn't find the time because then the Chantuzies happened and radio happened and this happened. And it really wasn't until um, Layla, my daughter, grew up. Well, left home and I went, okay, it's my turn now. Of course, I still look after her and, you know, she's like everything. But I could bring the attention back to me once she wasn't under my roof. Mm. But, yeah, I didn't have time. It was just, except for chronic fatigue. But that was all about helping my body and mind get heal. Mm. When you got young doctors and you, um, I guess you, you get put into the public eye people start to recognize you how do you feel that and that's probably something that's never gone backwards for you because you have pushed your career through that how do you feel as though your life changed uh in that did your life change when that started happening i'm sure it did i think i'm so unaware of it because my dad had had nightclubs and bars and we were he was so well known and we were his kids and we were all well known mm. because of dad 
So it kind of, I guess doing picture, you know, photo shoots for magazines and stuff was all, I had to get used to doing that sort of thing. Mm. But it, I don't really remember. And it just feels so normal. Mm. It's been a long time. I don't really remember how it felt back then. Yeah. I'm sure it was exciting. I remember when I got Young Doctors, it was in Sydney. And I flew up there and I caught the train into work every day and walking on a set and doing all that sort of... I remember being terribly nervous. Um, and if I'd had more skill, I mightn't have been as nervous. Mm. If I'd been trained up more and I'd done bits and pieces, but not to the level I know now. I'm just so happy that younger people can be better actors in our country now because they have the facilities and the layers that these techniques go to. They won't even discuss then unless you went to the States and whatever. So, Have you ever thought about pursuing a career over there? I didn't once I had a kid and I was so busy here and then having Layla and not wanting to travel. Now I would. And I think... I think there might even be a gap for older women who don't give up, who have got experience, who can, you know, turn into, you know, go to the American market and um, have got miles under their feet. And I've got an American accent now because I've learned it for this play. Oh, awesome. So, um, yeah, now it's like there's nothing stopping me. I want to see what happens after this. I don't want to go too soon after doing a big production like this see what you know see what happens but it's definitely definitely on my radar mm. and i guess being so multifaceted um has afforded you a really broad career here as well you know doing um acting but as well singing dancing um presenting emceeing radio um as i reading that you actually did release a meditation cd mm. and you're a celebrant as well yeah well, you've got to make money because there's not enough work. I could not survive alone on the Chantuzies. Mm. I could not survive alone on acting. I could not survive alone on MC work. And, and, and I don't want to survive alone on, on um, being a celebrant because it's a joy for me. It's, I don't want it to be a job. Mm. So um, I would ideally love to be able to survive on acting. Mm. If, that's, you know, if I could really put it out there as my dream thing to have. Chantuzies is great fun, so much fun, but I'm not growing as a person every time I get up on stage. Yeah. But I am when I'm acting. But you guys definitely know how to kick it. We do. Yeah. Yeah, we love it. I love it. I'm in love with the girls. Yeah. I'm in love with the music. I, lo- I have a ball. It's a party. I get paid to have a party. It's definitely a party. It's a party. And the Chantuzies yeah. <laughs> come to town. So I feel very... I think it's really good for other chicks to see that you can get older and you don't have to back down as well. Mm. A lot of women our age come along and they're just like, love it. And younger women, you know, they go, how old are you? I always tell people my age, I don't have an issue with it. They go, God, I hope I'm like you at your age. And I go, well, do it. Just you stay happy. Mm. Just find your way to be happy. Mm. And you'll have a young energy about you and you'll be able to do everything. Hmm. That seems like a really beautiful place to uh, round things out. I'd like to thank you a lot for uh, coming and talking about all this stuff with me. I know it's deeply personal, but um, I really love love it. It's important to talk about personal stuff, I think, for other people to not feel like they're floating alone. Mm. One last question, which I ask everyone at the Mm -hmm. end of the show. What makes you silly? The last thing that was really silly where I had a belly laugh was we're doing sex with strangers in Tallarook and they didn't have dressing rooms. So they put Sam in the men's toilets and me in the girls' toilets. I had It was so small and freezing cold. I had blankets all over me. I had my makeup down on the floor, a chair in front of the mirror, my hat, clothes hanging on with a toilet door open and they bought me my dinner <laughs> sitting in a loo <laughs> and I got Jill who is the um, set designer and stage manager, I said, you've got to take a photo of this. (laughs) So she took a photo of me with food on my lap in a toilet. And so I asked the producer if I could put on social media (laughs) and go dinner and a show, but she wouldn't let me because it looked like a really shabby production. Dinner and a show, that got my sense of humour. So I love to laugh. I love quirky. Laughter is definitely the best medicine. Love a good cack. Our grandfather actually says the 11th commandment is thou shalt laugh, especially at thyself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Cool. Thank you so much, Toddy. Pleasure, Alistair. Well, thank you so much, Toddy, for coming in, sitting down, taking the time and sharing your tremendous insights from just an extraordinary and uh, diverse and sustained career. And what's that you say? You want more coming up next? Well, friends, I have some exciting news. You can now join the Coming Up Next mailing list and stay up to date with all things related to Coming Up Next. Head on over to comingupnext.com.au. Punch your email address in and come on the adventure. It used to be Journey, um, but I changed it to Adventure because... Adventure sounds like more fun to me and less new agey. <laughs> anyway, you'll be able to keep up to date with all things related to coming up next, uh, including upcoming guests, previous guests, and exclusive content delivered straight to your email inbox. And stick around, friends, because next week's guest is a man who has been around the music industry for a long time he was a massive part of my childhood uh, you may know him from shows such as recovery pepsi live and video hits you may also in fact know him as the winner of the only celebrity big brother australia he now is a host on nova radio coming up next dylan lewis have a magnificent week friends and yeah it was a pretty bad christopher Walken.